Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. out of the tackle, takes it down the sideline, he stays in bounds, he stays on his feet, he takes it all the way, and ends the game! There are no flags! When the early games finish with a walk-off punt return in overtime, you, you know it's going to be a great day. Shout out to Baltimore Ravens receiver Tylen Wallace for the play of the day. Shout out to our own Joe Davis for a phenomenal call. Hi there. Welcome in to the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. It's just, it was just such a good moment. We had to start the show with that. What a Sunday in the NFL. Five one-score games in week 14. We had an overtime thriller, which I just talked about. We had a game that hearkened all the way back to the 1940s and certainly not in a good way. We'll get into that. Controversy abounded in Kansas City, or at least that's what the Chiefs want you to think. Plenty more to get into in our week 14 wrap up, but obviously we need to start at the end. So let's get into it. Or should I say, yeah, here we go. A huge division grudge match turns into a route. The Dallas Cowboys smash the Philadelphia Eagles 33 to 13. Feels like we've been wondering for a month now whether the Cowboys are for real. Sunday night, they gave us a resounding answer to that question. Who better to talk to about it all than our guy? He's helped us through the ups and downs of this division all season. Fox Sports NFC East writer Ralph Vacchiano joins me now to talk all things Cowboys-Eagles. All right, Ralph, thanks again for joining the show. I, I honestly feel like I'm having deja vu a little bit. You know, this big, hyped NFC matchup featuring the Eagles and Philadelphia comes out of it losing by three scores. We can get to the, to the Eagles half of it, but... Obviously, I want to start with the winning team. I want to start with the Dallas Cowboys. And there's a, lo a lot of places you can start here, but I would like to start with this Dallas defense holding the Eagles offense out of the end zone in this game, which I'll be honest, I'm not sure I thought that was possible. Yeah, it's the first time that's happened since a wild card game in 2019. Uh, this Eagles team has been, you know, fantastic on offense. They you know, have so many games over the last couple of years where, you know, they, when they knew they needed a score, they would find a way they, with that 
powerful offensive line. They could just will their way down the field. Uh, they were usually so careful with the ball, but they could do none of that in this game against the Cowboys. Obviously, they turned it over three times, three fumbles, which is unusual to see from them. But, uh, you know, they had okay numbers, but they just couldn't do anything with it. They really didn't have any huge plays in the passing game. Their run game was okay, but not very consistent. And obviously, um, they couldn't get into the end zone. A couple of times, they got relatively close Two fumbles, one by Jalen Hurts, one by Devonta Smith. Another time where they get into Dallas territory and they go for it on fourth and nine, I think it was, instead of kicking a field goal uh, and trying again. So, you know, they just kept finding ways to shoot themselves in the foot and, you know, not having a lot of answers for a Dallas defense that was aggressive, not only on Jalen Hurts, but aggressive to the ball, obviously knocking it out three times. I was struck, I don't know about you, I was I was so struck by how complimentary Dallas looked in this game. You know, I think in in the modern NFL, we're conditioned to think like you got to have these big plays on offense, you got to score 40 points to win. And it's not that the Dallas offense was bad, but I guess that's it is, you know, Dak Prescott, just a very efficient night, just took the plays that were there, thought the Cowboys ran the ball very well. And, and they even leaned on their kicker we get so mad at at teams leaning on their kicker, and here are the Cowboys just booming field goal after field goal, and it just felt like a very complete performance. And, and really on both sides. I mean, outside of Brandon Aubrey with his four field goals and the 50-yarder and 59-yarder and 60-yarder, I can't think of something in this game that the Cowboys did great, you know, exceptional. Like, this is the reason why they won. They just did everything really well. They covered well on defense. They tackled well. They pressured well. And on offense, you know, what I really like about the offense is Dak Prescott and and Mike McCarthy are making it clear that it's not what it was earlier in the season when it was all Prescott and C.D. Lamb. He will spread the ball around now. And you got a contribution from Tony Pollard, who had seven catches in this game to go with his was at 59 rushing yards. Um, you know, he had another decent game, you know, lower by his standards, but still a very good game from CeeDee Lamb. He got production out of Jake Ferguson. So, you know, they have so many weapons and they're using them now. And that's what makes this team so good because, and especially on the offensive side, no, I don't think this was a great game for them. It, it looked like it started to be a great game with three touchdowns in their first four drives, but you know, they settled down a little bit and still, even when it's not a great performance, they come away with 33 points. So, you know, that's the kind of team that the Cowboys are right. I want to go back to the Dallas defense real quick, Ralph, just the, the amount of pressure that Dan Quinn brought at Jalen Hurts. And and the stats say they only sacked him one time, but it, it certainly seemed like something he was dealing with down in and down out. And I can't help but think, you know, we've talked about it several times on this show this season regardless of how well he's played, it still doesn't look like he's moving as well as you would prefer. It still looks like he's dealing with something. And I, I can't help but think of, of the 49ers defensive end, Nick Bosa talking about putting a blueprint out. I think, I think Bosa meant that pretty tongue in cheek, but I do start to wonder if maybe that is the case. And maybe Jalen hurts will be dealing with this pressure from here on out until the Eagles prove they can do something about it. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder, too. Uh, you know, obviously, it's, you know, a two-game trend for him that's really bad. And, uh, you know, it's against not only two of the best teams in the NFC, but their two biggest competitors in the race for the Super Bowl, which has to be alarming because they're going to have to go through one, if not both of them, 
uh, to get to their second straight Super Bowl. So, yeah, the Eagles should be a little worried about that. Their offensive line does not look as dominant as it was in past seasons, as it was earlier this season. You know, we saw some signs of that early on, but it was really exposed to me against the 49ers and the Cowboys. And there's no doubt that it affected Jalen Hurts. You know, he's, he's had a couple of issues this year. One of them, obviously, is he doesn't look like himself on the run, not running as much or for as many yards, not making as many plays outside of the pocket as he had in the past. And the other thing is he's turning the ball over, which also is part of the pressure. He's got 15 turnovers now on the year, five fumbles, 10 interceptions. So all of this is, you know, part of the package where Jalen Hurts does not look like the MVP candidate he was last season. He's probably out of the race now, barring a stunning final four weeks of the season. But uh, yeah, I think the Eagles, there's going to be a lot of talk in Philadelphia this week now of, you know, not only what's wrong with their defense, which has been a mess, but is Jalen Hurts okay enough right now to lead them back to the Super Bowl to make them a true Super Bowl contender again. We talked about that after the 49ers loss. So back-to-back losses by 20 or more points. I I can't imagine what the dialogue is going to be in Philadelphia this week. I mean, we can we can get to that moving forward. You mentioned Hurts MVP odds taking a hit and I would agree. And and I'll say it again, I didn't think this was like the most amazing night of Dak Prescott's career. But I remember a conversation that we had after the Cowboys lost to the 49ers about Dak failing to show up in these big resume-building moments. Clearly, that's that's not the case here. This is a big, big win for Dak. And I'm curious, the schedule doesn't get any easier for Dallas. Where do you see this going for the Cowboys? Have the Cowboys officially started to maybe uh, turn the narrative around about what they're capable of? Oh, I absolutely think so. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where uh, the narrative, they can't win the big game, they're not a real contender. It's not going to completely change until they completely prove it. So they've got to get to the Super Bowl and maybe even win it before people start saying, okay, Dak Prescott can win the big game. The Dallas Cowboys are for real. I, I get that. But I think we've seen enough now to understand that this is not the same old Dallas Cowboys team. They are capable. This is a huge game. They are capable of winning a game like this. They're capable of doing it with their defense and doing it with their offense. They're capable of of showing that they have an elite quarterback. I I still think right now, even without this game being a great one, there isn't a quarterback in the NFL playing as well as Dak Prescott over the last two months. And I know the San Francisco fans will say, well, what about Brock Purdy more recently? Yeah, that's that's your one too, I think right now in the MVP race. But I do think Dak Prescott is playing better. He's got more offensive firepower around him when he uses it the right way. Um, You know, maybe the 49ers and Cowboys now are are the one, two teams. Maybe the Eagles are still in there, but you can't dismiss the Cowboys. I mean, to me, this game over the Eagles was a big statement that they're for real. They're probably the best team in the NFC East, even if they don't end up winning it. And that despite what happened to the 49ers, you know, however many weeks ago, they might be the best team in the NFC. They're certainly one of them. So, take them seriously and people are going to still say, well, prove it, but they've been doing it. They've been doing it as much as they can. And there's still a few steps to go, but you know, this, this Cowboys team to me looks very much for real. We will have a a longer conversation about the MVP award later in the show. So stick around for that, but I'm with you, man. It's, it's impressive. And I feel like I do this every time I talk to you, look, 
I said it a month ago. The Cowboys are just steadily going to be checking boxes. First, it was a solid Seattle team. Then it was the big game against Philly. And now we still get to find out what they're capable of because all of a sudden, a hot-looking Buffalo Bills team, Josh Allen, one of the most entertaining players in the league right now. The Cowboys get a chance to go on the road and show what they can do against Buffalo. And Ralph, if I had to guess, we will probably chat with you about it at some point or another. As always, man, I, I know it's late over on the East Coast. I really appreciate the time, man. My pleasure, Dave. Anytime. Plenty of other moving parts to consider in the NFC. For starters, that big Dallas win actually vaulted the San Francisco 49ers into the NFC's number one seed. 49ers dismantle the Seahawks 28 to 16. They now own the top spot and therefore the bye week in the NFC playoffs. It feels like it's been a long time coming. It's finally here. I'm only surprised that the 49ers win against Seattle didn't look more lopsided. Seattle actually, you know, after, after a tough loss to Dallas, they come out, they play fairly well. They cut it to a five point game at the end of the third quarter. And it took San Francisco all of about a minute and 16 seconds to answer. They go up by 12 at the start of the fourth. Never really felt like it was close, although the Niners never truly pulled away like we've seen them do against so many other opponents. And that's that's the crazy thing. 527 yards of offense, 28 points. Didn't feel as impressive as what we're used to from San Francisco. But, I mean, gosh, just look at the box score. Debo Samuel, 150 total yards and two touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey, 140 of their 170 rushing yards. Brock Purdy sets a career high in passing yardage. We will get to him a bit later in that MVP conversation we already teased. We can, we can do this all night. You can read off amazing 49ers stats after every single game if that's what you want to do. But I actually, I really appreciated the approach that we saw from our own Aaron Andrews at Levi Stadium after the game. She had a chance to catch up with the guy who doesn't get stats but makes everything go. That would be all-pro left tackle Trent Williams, who had plenty to say about this juggernaut of an offense. All right, Big Trent, uh, over 500 total yards of offense today. I thought I'd give an offensive lineman some love. Can you give me an idea of just what it feels like playing on an offense with so many options, so many weapons? Uh, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, Kyle does a great job mixing it up, keeping those guys in advantageous um, positions. And, um, you know, he, he keeps the offense cohesive, nice and balanced. And um, it makes it easy for us. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what you make easy is Christian McCaffrey running to the left side. Okay, first of all, that look. Brock Purdy telling me this week, you create this alley for McCaffrey. You make 6'7", 6'8", beasts look like high schoolers. What does it feel like over there on that left side? Uh, I'm just trying to do my job, man. And uh, anytime coach call to run left, I feel obligated to, to, to open up some lanes. You know, I feel like... I'm, that's no different than a wide receiver getting a target, in my opinion. Um, you know, so when he called run left, you know, I know I got we got a dynamic back. All you got to do is give him a crease and he'll make him pay. Another huge game for Brock Purdy, Trent. Still, we're arguing about this guy getting the respect. What do you have to say about the way he's played for you guys? Just turn on film. Turn on film. Um, you know, a lot of people talk and, and words are what they are, but, you know, actions prove it. You know, turn on the film. Watch this kid, watch him play, watch his command of the offense, watch his decision-making. And then if you if you say that he's just a system quarterback after that, then I question your football knowledge. And we're not questioning you at all. You're the man. Thanks so much, Trent, for the time. No 
I wouldn't dream of having Trent Williams question my ball knowledge. And, and he's right. I mean, look, this is one of, if not the most talented offenses in the NFL, one of the most talented offenses in modern memory. But the guy pulling all the triggers, the guy making all the decisions under center, Brock Purdy, is a huge, huge part of it. I've been saying it all year. I'm not going to weigh into where he stacks up in the NFL hierarchy. If you made me say, is he the best quarterback in the NFL? I don't think that. But you can't take the 49ers' success away from him. We know what it looks like when a lesser quarterback does this. It's never looked this good. And yes, Brock Purdy is absolutely a huge part of that. The guy deserves his flowers. We will get into more of that in the MVP conversation later. Clearly, judging from Trent Williams, it is all smiles in San Francisco right now. Rightfully so. Over in the NFC North, starting to look a little dicier. Not looking so good for the Detroit Lions, the next team in the NFC playoff picture. They fall 28-13 in Chicago. It's actually a game that looked exactly like the one we saw a few weeks ago, just without the miracle comeback. I'm joined now by the guys who called the game at Soldier Field, Adam Amin and Mark Schlereth, to talk about a young Bears team making an impressive statement against the division-leading Lions. All right, guys, so much of the conversation with the Bears goes toward the offense, but I, want, I mean, let's, let's start with the defense after a day like this. I mean, four sacks, three takeaways, zero second-half points allowed. What has come over the Bears' defense here that's got them looking so dominant? Well, we talked with Matt Eberflus about his defense a couple of weeks ago when we had this matchup the first time, and he was sensing a turnaround. This was not a good defense early in the season, giving up a lot of points. This was the last-ranked defense in the NFL last season. They had a defensive coordinator change when Allen Williams resigned. Eberflus took over play calling. But he seemed like when we chatted with him about three weeks ago that he was starting to get more comfortable. It seems like it's starting to play out in what we've seen these last two games for them. They're pretty simple, but they will disguise well. And ever since they went out and got Montez Sweat, he's been a difference maker on the edge. And then using that disguise and having guys that will play aggressive, also they're really tackling well. And I always say this about defense in the National Football League. If all you do is tackle well, you're going to have a pretty solid defense when it comes to eliminating some of those scores the offense offense can get so that's really what's been the difference so far at least late in the season here for uh, Chicago Mark let's let's make sure we get to the quarterback and I remember Mark it was it was two or three weeks ago we were talking about Justin Fields and you mentioned we know you can make the highlight plays it's about consistency and here over Mm -hmm. you know over the last few weeks I know the the game against Minnesota maybe not a sterling game but here against Detroit and several times over the last few weeks it, it looks like we're seeing that do you think Yeah, I think we're seeing him progress, and I think that's the big thing. When we talked to the coaching staff, it was really about the anticipatory throws, throwing guys open. That needs to be the next step, and you saw some of that today, getting the ball out on time. Still, the holding of the football creates some sack opportunities, creates some pressure opportunities for the opponent, but you see him continuing to grow, and Adam and I talked about this during the broadcast. The one thing that you have to have is you have to have that progression from Justin Fields because you cannot survive in this league long-term running the football and taking some of the hits, hits he took today because he, he took some big-time hits against this defense of Detroit. Chicago Bears, winners of three out of their last four. Quite a turnaround happening there. Guys, as always, I appreciate the time. Thank you. No problem, Dave. Thanks, buddy. 
I'm so conflicted about what to do with this Detroit Lions team because, look, officially in the NFC playoff race, they are sitting very comfortably in the third seed. They are assured of a winning record. They still have an 86% chance of winning the division. So for for all of the, the panic that I'm sure you're feeling if you're a Lions fan, the math is still on your side. But I will say... The trend, the vibes are off. The trends are bad. The vibes are bad. Basically, since their bye week, this has been an ongoing theme of lackluster results, particularly on defense, in my opinion. Since the bye week, five games, the Detroit Lions are allowing an average of 366 yards and 30 points per game. If you extrapolated that over a larger sample size, They'd be bottom four in yardage allowed, and they'd be second to last in scoring defense, respectively. It's really bad. And again, this is five weeks. This is a a sizable chunk of the season that leads you to believe this isn't getting better. They're not turning it around. And over on the offensive side of the ball, hardly helping matters is that they aren't just turning the ball over. They're turning it over in bunches. Three games in those five with three turnovers. They did it again against Chicago this week. They managed to bounce back from it the first time they played the Bears. This time, it completely sinks them. They can't seem to take care of the ball, or at least when they don't, it snowballs on them. They have played two games without a turnover, but in the games where it happens, it tends to happen two or three times. That is not going to win any games, and obviously the yardage and the points equally bad on the defensive side. It's a weird spot to be. For years and years, Lions fans have been praying to have a team this good, a team that has a winning record locked up with a month left. But now that you've tasted it, do you want to be the team that peaked in October and early November and everything else is just a downward slide to the end of the season? Because that's what it feels like right now. And if you think I'm being too reactionary, much like the Cowboys earlier, go ahead and look at the Lions' schedule. It's all teams that are going to factor into the playoff race, whether that's the Denver Broncos, whether that's the Cowboys, whether that's two games against Minnesota. Doesn't look like a whole lot of easy sledding left on the schedule, particularly when the Chicago Bears have given you everything you can handle across two games. So, like I said, it's a weird spot. The Lions are a success story, I think, almost no matter what happens. Like, to to get a winning record, it's almost a success story. But if they can't stop this slide, if they can't start to play more inspired football at some point in the final month, Lions fans are going to find out quickly that just winning games isn't everything in the NFL. Let's wrap up the NFC division leaders with the new first place team in the NFC South. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Atlanta Falcons in their revenge game. And just like that, when your whole division's mediocre, the Buccaneers can disappear for a month and show back up a 29 to 25 win in Atlanta. And the Buccaneers are back in first place. Of course, three teams in the NFC South are now six and seven. The saints beat the Panthers on Sunday as well. So I have a feeling that division is just going to come down to the wire in one of the most, I guess on, on paper, we can say thrilling, but a a very, very meh division race playing out in the NFC South. Speaking of meh, I teased it. We almost had our first scoreless regulation game since 1943 
in Las Vegas on Sunday. The Minnesota Vikings hang on to a wild card spot with a three to nothing win against the Las Vegas Raiders. Please don't make me say a whole lot else about that game. Josh Dobbs was was benched and replaced by Nick Mullins. I guess we'll see how Kevin O'Connell handles the quarterback situation moving forward. Justin Jefferson barely gets back from his hamstring injury before a chest injury knocks him out. We'll see where that goes. That's I've already said too much about a three nothing game. The Vikings hang on to their wild card spot. The Green Bay Packers. We'll see how they do Monday night. They play the New York Giants, and yeah, it's it is a a a log jam of six and seven teams. The Eagles currently, whoever doesn't win the NFC East is going to run away with that five seed. I don't think it's premature to say that. Whether it's Dallas or Philly, and from there a bunch of six and seven teams. Whether it's the Rams or the Seahawks, both of whom lost on Sunday. You throw in Atlanta and New Orleans, maybe hanging around the wild card picture. I guess we'll see what happens. My main impression from looking at the NFC is that I bet it inspires some envy from the AFC looking way, way more competitive on the other side of the league. And that is where we go next. For most of the last five years, when you're breaking down the AFC playoff picture, it makes sense to start with the Kansas City Chiefs because they're on top of the standings. It is not the case here coming out of week 14. Never has that been more emphasized than it is right now. The Kansas City Chiefs, losers of two straight and three of their last four. They fall in dramatic fashion, 20 to 17 to the Buffalo Bills. We start with them not because they're in first place, but because it's the game that'll probably generate the most amount of hot takes over the next 48, 72 hours. It's never ideal to lead with officiating. I I am a believer that most of this stuff balances out in the end and most of it is wasted breath. But it feels like we have to start the conversation with officiating when the best player in the league and one of the most widely respected coaches in NFL history both speak out on it coming out of this game against the Buffalo Bills. That is exactly what Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid did. If you missed it, if you live under a rock, One of the most surprising things I've seen in the NFL this season, and it had nothing to do with football. It had everything to do with Patrick Mahomes losing his shit because that is exactly what happened. I mean, he's, he's the dandruff shampoo commercial guy. He's the friendliest quarterback. He's the face of the NFL. He's Mr. All America. And he was positively losing his mind, having to be restrained from talking to the refs after The Chiefs' last gasp, fourth down, goes incomplete, and the Chiefs essentially lose this game. And why? Because the miraculous lateraling touchdown that would have put them ahead with a minute to play gets waved off. Again, if you live under a rock, Patrick Mahomes does Mahomes things. He buys time. He finds Travis Kelsey over the middle of the field with time running out. Chiefs down three. A field goal wins it, but no. Travis Kelsey does something in, insane. He laterals it across the field to Kadarius Tony, who is shrieking uncovered, catches the lateral, 24 yards, untouched. Oh, my God, they've done it again. What? The Chiefs are the most amazing team in the league. And Kadarius Tony is flagged for offside, and the play gets wiped off the board. As I said, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid felt a type of way about it. Before we go any further, I would love for you you to hear what they had to say. 
I mean, it's I mean, obviously tough to swallow. Um, I mean, not, not only for, for me, but just for football in general. I mean, just to take away greatness like that. I mean, for a guy like Travis to make a play like that. And who knows if we win. But as I know as fans, you want to see the guys on the field decide the game. And that's why last week I didn't say anything about the flag. They didn't get called on the Marquez. And so, I mean, I, don't, it, I mean, they're human, man. They make mistakes, but I mean, I'm, I'm, it's every week we're talking about something, and it's it's the call, man. Just in that moment, I mean, it's it's not even for my, myself or for me. It's just I know how much everybody puts into this game, and for it to to happen on a flag change the outcome of a game um, in that moment. I mean, I, I've played seven years, never had that, never had offense all sides called. I mean, that's the, we that's elementary school. We we talk about. I mean, you point to the ref, do all that different type of stuff, and and it doesn't get called. And if it does, you, they warn you, and there was no warning throughout the entire game. Um, and then you wait till there's a minute left in the game to make a call like that. Um, it's just tough, man. It, it, I mean, it's lost for words, man. It's just it's tough. You know, it was a it was a heck of a football game down to the end. Um, very disappointed that it ended the way it did, and. Um, normally, I'll get. Um, I, I never use any of this as excuses, but normally I get a warning before something like that happens in a big game. Um, a bit embarrassing in the National Football League for that to take place. I, I was almost there. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid almost gaslit me into thinking that they were right about this, and I guess. I guess I'll give Mahomes the point that Kadarius Tony's alignment didn't drastically affect the play. But Patrick, he's also really clearly offside. And it's also not the referee's job to tell you whether or not you're doing your job properly. I thought that ahead of time. And then fortunately, we were blessed with a pool report with NFL official Carl Sheffers, who was who called the game, quoted himself. He said, quote, if they looked for alignment advice, certainly we're going to give it to them. But ultimately, they are responsible for wherever they line up. And certainly, no warning is required if they're lined up so far off sides where they are actually blocking our view of the ball. That that's that's the issue here. Yeah, I mean, I know what Mahomes is talking about. Refs do that all the time where they'll get receivers back in alignment or tell them like, hey, you're in an illegal position right now. You need to take a step back, whatever. Kadarius Tony was blocking the side judge's view of what was happening. They don't owe you anything. That that's that's not a rule that they have to tell you how to how to do your job. That's basically what this is. And so basically, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are basically saying, Come on, man. It was badass. Just let us have this. But unfortunately, that's just not always how it works. It also doesn't change the fact that the Chiefs wide receivers in this game managed another drop. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, along with Kadarius Toney, also had a pre-snap penalty. So that's two pre-snap penalties on receivers. MVSs came on a third down. That ain't good. And oh, by the way, Rasheed Rice, the rookie receiver, fumbled at the end of the third quarter. That be mad about that. Don't be mad about the flag. That that ain't the issue here. In a way, and I'm just spitballing here, but I, I appreciate Mahomes' outburst because this just feels like about six weeks of frustration coming to a head. He's he's gotta be the most most frustrated guy 
in the NFL. And in my opinion, again, I, I don't want to put words in Patrick Mahomes' mouth. I'm, I wasn't there. But to me, it looks like turning your frustration out on the call is a way better look than going off on your teammates for refusing to help you week after week after week. And that has been the story of this Kansas City Chiefs season. The bottom line is that their their mistakes have caught up to them. It's it's happened before, but it is certainly happening right now. They are tied for their highest ever loss total during the Patrick Mahomes era. Does not bode well for their odds of securing the number one seed in the AFC. So I get the frustration. I just happen to think the Kansas City Chiefs are pointing it in the wrong direction rather than right at themselves. Speaking of the number one seed. Let's, yeah, let's give some love to the team that is actually sitting atop the AFC standings. That would be the Baltimore Ravens. As we talked about at the very top of the show, they survived the LA Rams after just the fourth ever overtime punt return touchdown. Weird, weird stat. It's happened four times in history. Two of them have happened in 2023. Remember, Xavier Gibson did it for the New York Jets in the season opener against Buffalo. Tylen Wallace filled in at punt returner. He's not even their regular guy. Devin Duvernay was out hurt. He rumbles and stumbles his way. I thought he was going to fall down two different times, but he stays up. And for now, at least with Miami's game still to play on Monday night, the Baltimore Ravens sit in the AFC's top seed. We've seen so many of these close games go wrong for Baltimore. That's how they've got all of their three losses, really. So, Joined now by the guys who had the call in Baltimore, Joe Davis, Daryl Moose Johnson. And guys, I'm just curious, what might it mean for this team that even, even if it took until overtime, they were able to close out a close game like this? Yeah, because that's been, if there's been anything to nitpick this year, is their inability to do that a few times, yeah. but they get this one in OT. Yeah, there's no style points in the NFL, and we talked about it a little bit about the ability to finish, and they've led in every game through the fourth quarter. At some point in the fourth quarter, two of those losses were double-digit leads, so I do think that this is big for them moving forward, but we talked at the beginning of the broadcast about this team being similar to San Francisco. When they're firing on all cylinders, I don't know if there's a team that can beat them. They didn't today, but they found a way to win with a backup punt returner in overtime. That's also another great box to be able to check, so the other thing they've done before, right? you you found a way to really beat up on the Detroit Lions, really beat up on the Seattle Seahawks. When you're firing on all cylinders, you're tough, and you know yeah. that. But these are all great games to learn from. When you have that gritty win, you didn't play great, and yet all three phases come together, and it's special teams that seals the deal. Not just finding a way to win this game, but to your point, maybe not in their prettiest game of the year, for the time being at least, they're on top of the AFC standings. With as wide open as the AFC looks, where do you think Baltimore fits into that picture of contenders right now? Well, it's a really hard final schedule. Ten and through, yeah. it's really hard <laughs> to finish coming, but two of the teams that are right there in that picture for the one seed with them, they're going to play, and so they're going to have a chance here head-to-head to take care of business. I thought you made a great point during the course of the broadcast of, you know, the favorites in the AFC are teams that are struggling a yep. little bit. Where's Kansas City going to be? Where's Buffalo Cincinnati going to be? Are they even going to make it? Uh, so if this is the year for the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson to step through, it's all there for them. They play the hardest schedule down the stretch. They could become better. They could become the team to be feared during the playoffs, whether it's AFC or Super Bowl matchups. So everything's lining up for it. The big question to them is, do they seize that moment? 
I hope when we find that out, every game they play the rest of the way is as entertaining as this one was. Guys, I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks, Derek. You got it. As fun as Tylen Wallace's punt return was, don't let the fireworks in overtime distract you from a really nice offensive performance by Baltimore in really wet conditions. They did manage to break out for 450 yards of offense, 31 points in regulation. I thought we got a really good look at how they look without Mark Andrews. Isaiah Likely, the backup tight end, had one of the best games of his young career. Odell Beckham and Zay Flowers broke out. Obviously, the guy at the center of it all was Lamar Jackson, who I think reinserted his name into the MVP conversation. That is called a tease. As I keep saying, we will get into some MVP talk later in the show. As for the rest of the AFC, it looks like a damn demolition derby in the standings right now. The Miami Dolphins currently slotted in at number two. They do have a chance. If, if they beat Tennessee tonight, they will be back atop the AFC. We'll see how that goes. Kansas City and Jacksonville both losing on Sunday. Jags lost to Cleveland. They both maintain their division leads, though, so everything copacetic there. The Cleveland Browns, the team that beat the Jags, sit firmly, maybe the only team that is comfortable in their wild card spot, firmly in the five seed. Joe Flacco, officially the starter in Cleveland the rest of the way, as if we didn't know he already was elite. We can get to the Browns, specifically Kevin Stefanski in a little while. But after Cleveland, that's much like the NFC East runner-up in the NFC. You feel good about the Browns sitting there at number five, and then the carnage starts from that point on. There are, count them, six different seven and six squads in the AFC right now. Officially, the Colts and the Steelers currently hold the last two playoff spots, which is ironic since they're both coming off of very demoralizing losses. Pittsburgh loses at home to New England. The Colts kind of got their doors blown off by Cincinnati on Sunday afternoon. Bills in the headlines and deservedly so. Even with an interception, I thought Josh Allen played a very solid game against a great Kansas City defense. The Bills keep their playoff hopes alive with that win at Arrowhead. Broncos, yes, Justin Herbert did leave with a finger injury, but the Broncos were beating up on him before he left Denver all over the Chargers to get to seven and six. The Houston Texans will be anxiously awaiting to hear about C.J. Stroud's status after he exited Houston's loss to the Jets. He's in the concussion protocol. And like I said, the Bengals beat up on the Colts, and they are just they are just lurking right there suddenly, doing just fine above 500 with Jake Browning getting a second consecutive win under center. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Let's jump back up to Cleveland for a second and talk about those Browns because I, I didn't want to gloss over the number five seed in the AFC playoff race. It's just that we wanted to feature them in our weekly coaching spotlight. Every week we talk about a decision, a performance, a moment that highlighted coaching in the NFL. Today's coaching spotlight is brought to you by Verizon. It's the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach-to-coach -coach communications 
And it's time to have a conversation about Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski. Let's lead this segment off with our weekly Fox fact, because this is a doozy of a stat, and it completely, perfectly illustrates the job that Kevin Stefanski is doing as the Browns head coach this year. All right, Fox fact, good stat. Here you go. The Cleveland Browns are just the 13th NFL team since 1950 to start four different quarterbacks in a season. For them, that four would be Deshaun Watson, rookie Dorian Thompson-Robinson, P.J. Walker, and now most recently, Joe Flacco. Kevin Stefanski has coached all four of those guys to a win this season. Most recently, Joe Flacco leading them to a 31-27 win against Jacksonville. They are firmly atop the wild card standings, even trailing their division. They are projected by the New York Times at an 87% chance to make the postseason. And that is despite a litany of injuries. All of these guys have dealt with something at one point or another and really uneven performances. Sure, a healthy amount of that is their defense. And the Browns were relentless pressuring Trevor Lawrence on that gimpy ankle that he injured a week ago. But to coax this kind of production out of this quarterback room, it it bears mentioning of the job that Kevin Stefanski does on offense and potentially his place in the conversation about NFL coach of the year. Impressive as it might be to help PJ Walker and DTR get wins. And that is impressive. I still, I lean toward this story with Joe Flacco, just knowing that he was sitting on his couch as recently as three weeks ago, 38 year old hadn't played since January of last year or well, January of this year, but you get it 11 months ago as a member of the New York jets. And on Sunday, he doesn't just win. He becomes the first Browns quarterback this season to throw for 300 yards, eight different receivers, 311 yards on the day, three touchdowns, two of them to David and Joku. And look, I get it. Joe Flacco's played a lot of NFL football. He's won a lot of games. He's won a championship. He's a very accomplished quarterback, but it's not just the longtime quarterback playing well in Stefanski's offense. It's also the things the Browns coaching staff is doing to help really all of these guys. Most recently with Flacco, these last two games for Cleveland The Browns have scored a touchdown on their opening drive. Just an absolutely beautiful opening script by Stefanski and his coaches. 75-yard touchdown drives two weeks in a row. And in both instances, the touchdown pass from Flacco is wide the hell open. Just scheming easy plays for a guy who just got there, what, two, three weeks ago? He's capable of making the plays, but the Browns are putting these quarterbacks in position to get it done. It's Flacco now beating the Jaguars. But remember, it was P.J. Walker that beat the mighty San Francisco 49ers. It is incredibly impressive. I feel like I've said this before, but when you are dealt injury luck at quarterback the way the Browns have been, it's typically the end of your season. The Browns have had to deal with four different guys stepping into their lineup, and they are thriving looking like a damn near lock to make the playoffs. Just want to make sure we shout out the juggling act that Kevin Stefanski is doing in Cleveland. And with that defense on the other side of things, 
All you need is good enough to have a shot, and it certainly looks like the Browns have one right now, thanks to some quality coaching. All right, for the next item of business, let's just get into it. I've been teasing it throughout this entire show. We knew that Week 14 was going to have a big impact on the NFL MVP race, and lo and behold, we were right. So let's get into it. A week of some significance for the race to the MVP, and where better to start then Dak Prescott, we said all week the winner of this game between the Cowboys and Eagles would very likely see their quarterback, the MVP frontrunner by the end of the game. Turned out to be completely true. Who could have seen that coming? Two of the biggest, most visible teams in the league with the best records. Dak Prescott, not even his gaudiest performance. 62% of his passes, 271 yards and two touchdowns. As Ralph mentioned earlier, first half, it looked like it was going to be this big statement game. I would simply call it an efficient game, but look, you lead your offense to 33 points and the Cowboys run the Eagles out of Texas. It's plenty good enough to bump you up. And yes, Dak Prescott currently the betting favorite to win NFL MVP. The fun thing about this is these opportunities keep coming up week after week. It'll be Josh Allen next week. It'll be Tua and the Dolphins the week after that. Dak Prescott hasn't clinched anything, certainly not, not with a month still to play. But when you put up 30 points, when you win a a statement opportunity game like this, this is what happens. It is completely unsurprising that Dak is the front runner right now, just mathematically from a betting standpoint. And if the Cowboys keep up this pace, if, if, if they win what three of these last four. Yeah. I think I'd go as far as to say, you can lock that thing up for Dak Prescott. Although there is one guy that's going to have a lot to say with that, I think. And that is the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. Brock Purdy comes in right behind Dak in betting odds, just slightly behind him. He sets a career high in passing yards against Seattle, 368. Did have the interception to go with the two touchdowns, but just continuing to distribute the ball at a high level. This is the most polarizing topic of the NFL season, I think, is Brock Purdy's MVP candidacy. How much of it is Purdy? How much of it is the talent around him? I wanted to drill down on this, and who better to talk to than the guys that have actually watched the last two of his games. Kevin Burkhart, Greg Olson called the Niners win against Philadelphia last week in addition to San Francisco's win against Seattle on Sunday. And guys, I'll just, I'll just ask you straight out. How legitimate do you think Brock Purdy is as an NFL MVP candidate? Yeah, I, I think it's 100% legitimate. I, I, I think right now, look, if you're, we've talked about this at dinner. You know, it, it changes every week. But Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott, you know, neck and neck. I think Brock Purdy's biggest issue for an MVP might be his own teammate. Yeah, and, and I think that's what goes against him. It almost cancels some of what he does out, fair or unfair. And listen, I don't know, and we talked about it on the broadcast, I don't know if we've had a quarterback at the top of so many different categories winning being number one over his time as a starter and be not considered in that top upper echelon every other year where there's been a quarterback on arguably the best team in the league who happens to also lead in every major quarterback category to not be mvp is kind of unprecedented yeah he's been great i think he's right there dave to answer your question and i think he's going to stay in that mix as long as the niners are on top which certainly feels like it's going to be the case from here on out i'm I'm running out of words for the niners but 
dominant feels like it fits every week, guys. I appreciate the time. Always, Dave. See appreciate you next it. week. Thanks, Dave. It might not be fair. It might not be right. But let's just get down to brass tacks. I do think there is one compelling element of this conversation to keep in mind with Dak and Brock Purdy. And that's typically voters award wins. Maybe wins are not a quarterback stat, but the last several MVPs, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, going all the way back. The last time a quarterback won MVP without being the number one seed, that would be 2016, Matt Ryan. He was the number two seed for that Falcons team that wound up making the Super Bowl. Before that, you got to go all the way to Peyton Manning in 2008. He was the five seed at 12 and four for the Colts. That was the last time a guy who wasn't at least a one or two seed quarterback, mind you, one NFL MVP. I do. I, I like KB's point that, I mean, there's a lot of guys taking credit, taking publicity, getting stats on this 49ers offense, but for right or for wrong, this has become a quarterback award. And I, I do think it's worth pointing out. We have very recent data that shows what the 49ers are with different quarterbacks. And it's never looked quite this amazing. I don't officially know where I fall on it, but if the Niners keep this up and get the one seed, get the buy, I, I at the very least think you should be prepping yourself for that possibility. Brock Purdy continuing to play lights out. Meanwhile, up next, there is still a month left, but as good as you feel about Dak and Brock Purdy's chances, it's hard to feel good about where Jalen Hurts stands after this loss to the Cowboys. His second straight loss by three possessions. They lose big to the 49ers as well as Dallas. This was Jalen Hurts' first game without a touchdown this season. He also had one of Philly's three fumbles. That's 15 turnovers on the season. So you combine, I mean, I, I think people have said this before. Like when wins for right or wrong mean a lot to this award and wins were the thing that was going for Jalen Hurts. The, the number one factor was that they were finding ways to win games and they were sitting on top of the entire NFL over these last two weeks. It's no longer the case. San Francisco, Dallas, Baltimore, all sitting on 10 wins. Doesn't look like it means quite as much as it used to when you add in the turnovers and consider it's nice that the Eagles have an easy stretch on their schedule coming up, doesn't do a whole lot to sway MVP voters when you're beating up on the New York Giants and the Arizona Cardinals. Something to consider. I did mention the 10-win Baltimore Ravens, and I do think Jalen Hurts' slip reopens the door for Lamar Jackson. If you'll remember, he was actually our midseason MVP here on the NFL on Fox podcast, as voted by y'all. You, if you're listening to this, you chose Lamar as the MVP at the midpoint of the season. I feel like people have kind of forgotten about him. You know, the, the Ravens had a couple silly losses. Be honest, the, the, the stats haven't been gaudy. That, I mean, Lamar Jackson only had nine touchdown passes at midseason, but a game like this against the Rams sure can put you back on the map. Lamar Jackson accounted for 386 yards, three touchdowns in the win against the Rams. And like I said earlier, we're all going to remember the Tylen Wallace punt return for a long time. But in regulation, it was Lamar Jackson that led the Ravens on a game-tying drive at the, end of, at the end of the game. Last minute of the game, he leads them 75 yards. 
throws an absolute laser beam to Zay Flowers. 21-yard touchdown pass, third and 17. Looked like a rough situation for the Ravens. Gets the touchdown. One of Lamar Jackson's best games of the season. And his better games were in laughers. You know, okay, cool. You put up big stats against the Lions and the Seahawks when the backups were in the fourth quarter. But what do you do when it's nut-cutting time in a close game? That is what Lamar Jackson does. And right now, we'll see what happens with the Dolphins, but the Ravens sitting right there at the top of the AFC. I think it is time to remember Lamar Jackson, very, very much part of the NFL MVP conversation. Let's wrap this up. Just mentioned the Miami Dolphins. They play tonight. We don't yet know what they're going to do, but it's worth mentioning Tyreek Hill. You know the guy is on an absolute tear. We've talked about it. 405 yards and four touchdowns in the last three weeks. They play the Titans on Monday Night Football. I know there's two Monday Night Football games, but this is still nationally televised. Everybody's going to see what Tyreek Hill does here. If he blows up again, honestly, look, I'm not I'm not giving gambling advice, but I see those those are nice looking odds for Tyreek Hill. Maybe you hop on that early because if he goes off again, we've already talked about it. This is a year where nobody's truly seizing control of the award the way that we've seen Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers do in recent years. If Tyreek Hill plays two or three more games like what we've seen in the last three weeks. It's going to be an interesting conversation. I guess that's all I can say. I do feel like I have to see it to believe it, but 2,000 yards is 2,000 yards, and he is going to be in the conversation if he keeps up this pace. All right, let's switch from talking about all the guys whose names you've heard a million times to the guys who maybe you had never heard of prior to Sunday. Because if you didn't notice, there were quite a few unfamiliar names getting into the end zone in week 14. It was truly a weekend for the day three draft sickos. As we saw a lot of big plays from a lot of guys you might not have ever heard of. It spawned a segment I'm really excited about. We've got a working title for it simply called who? Because five different guys scored touchdowns on Sunday who when their name went across the screen, it just prompted the response, who? And where else would we start with the guy we mentioned at the top of the show? Tylen Wallace doing it in style, the third-year wide receiver out of Oklahoma State, wasn't even supposed to be the return guy for Baltimore, scores the game-winning touchdown, his first NFL touchdown. Remember, been in the league since 2021. First NFL touchdown wins the game in December for the AFC one seed Ravens. I can't get enough of it. If you can't already tell, and we're going to take it another step further, catching up with what Tylen Wallace had to say after the biggest moment of his NFL career. Look at the smile on your face. Walk us through it. I mean, it looked like you were down a couple of times. You were stumbling and fumbling, but you made it. Yeah, no, I mean, I just knew we had to make a play. Man, shout out to the guys blocking for me, man. They made it happen for me. I'm just happy that I was able to make a difference in the game. It looked like when Devin went out, you're going, oh, what's going to happen on special teams? And you rise to the occasion. What does that mean to you as a player? It means the most, man. I, I, you know, that's all what it's all about. You never know when your moment's going to come. So it's about stay, staying down, keep grinding, and, you know, when your moment comes, you got to take advantage of it. Nice moment. Yeah, lovely moment. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. It's a great point by Tylen. You never know when your name's going to get called. We saw it all over the league. Same game. 
as the Ravens, honestly, Davis Allen, rookie tight end for the LA Rams. Hunter Long carted off. He steps up four catches, 50 yards and a touchdown. Over in that Browns-Jaguars game, David Bell, one catch for 41 yards, a fourth down touchdown for the Cleveland Browns. Chase Brown, rookie running back for the Cincinnati Bengals. He had a huge day, 105 total yards and a touchdown pass. Tanner Hudson, the backup Bengals tight end. He gets two catches for 21 yards and a touchdown. Just an all-around nuts day from guys I doubt you've ever heard of. And we actually, we did a little bit of math of our own. If you put $10 on these five fellas to score an anytime touchdown, you could have netted yourself $2.32 million. Quite a payout. Where's Biff's uh, sports almanac from Back to the Future when you need it? Shout out to these guys because prior to Sunday, I would have said, who? But I know you now. Show's not quite over yet, as we always do on Mondays. Let's wrap this thing up with another episode of Ask Glazer with who else but NFL on Fox insider Jay Glazer. All right, welcome back to another edition of Ask Glazer with Jay Glazer. Jay, week 14. How do we get all the way How to the How do we get here? Man? Feels good, though, doesn't it? I'm liking the suit. What, like that. What, are we, what color are we calling it this? It is the uh, Michael Strahan collection because I got to give my guy some love. Um, I would say this is kind of um, gangster purple. <laughs> that it absolutely right? is. Best best dress crew on NFL TV. Let's get to your questions for the week. As soon as I saw this one, being an LSU alum, I knew yeah. we had to ask it. Jaden Daniels, yep. the the now reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Do you do you think he played his way into being a top ten pick in the draft? Well, I, I don't know top ten pick yet. But did he play himself into the first round? Yes. Where in the first round? I don't know yet because once teams get to sit down with him and really pick him apart, that's when you'll realize where he goes. Usually guys, though, quarterbacks, once teams do get to pick your part, they start to slide up more than down. So, listen, he used the system. One executive told me yes, told, told me last night, use the system perfectly. You know, he used a transfer portal, went somewhere else that was going to develop him better as a quarterback. Got time to add some muscle to his frame, weight to his frame, and really improved in a lot of different areas. Not just, used to just be, okay, first read, it's not there. Let me take off with my legs. And that's just not the same guy anymore. So there's a lot to, to look at and love. So I think as you start looking at it, um, yeah, I think you're looking at top 10, top 15. As they start falling more and more in love with these quarterbacks, I think he'll start moving up a lot. But again, if it was a year ago, you're probably looking at day two, day three quarterback. So he used the system perfectly and good for him to work his butt off to improve as much as he did. It's such a cool story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was a solid player last year, sure. but probably, yeah, like you said, uh, maybe. Solid, but not Heisman. Exactly. Right. And now I absolutely think we're right. talking about it. And, and actually, as, as one executive told me yesterday too, he deserves it. Like all the good things are about to happen, like this and everything else, he deserves it, which you like to hear. Like as in, he worked for it, so he deserves yeah, all the good stuff that's about to happen. I, I'm really excited to yeah. see how the process goes for him. All right. Tough times coming off of that loss to New England in Pittsburgh. Two back-to-back losses to 10-loss teams for the Pittsburgh Steelers. As much as he's accomplished, I, I, I don't like asking it, but do you feel like Mike Tomlin might be on a hot seat if this season keeps going the way it is? I think Mike Tomlin's on the hot seat almost every year there, and he's never had a losing season. If Mike Tom, Tomlin well was available, there would be teams probably willing to get rid of, their, rid of their own head coach to bring in a Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin is when you... You talk to your other head coaches in this league. He is like 
the guy. He is grandpapa. He is the one they all look up to. And he has done an incredible job over the years. I mean, to never have a losing season. It's is incredible. Absolutely it's, ridiculous. it's the best streak going in pro right. football. In my and, and he doesn't have an ego when it comes to personnel. It's like, Hey, whoever we got, Hey, we're going to go with him. And, and you could see how much he obviously keeps inside that, that locker room there. But I'm telling you, if Mike Tomlin was available. There would be teams lining up, even if he's not available yet. Teams should be calling, try to trade for Mike Tomlin. You, you like guys, like, like you Washington. Hey, Washington. Yeah. He's from Virginia. Like, perfect. Like, I'm I'm at least giving it a shot. I'm trying for it. If you want a guy like, I mean, if if they decide to move on from Ron Rivera, like, man, you got to swing away for a guy like that. If you could be, you know, if, if it's on the hot seat, swing away. Mike Tomlin is, uh, he, he is, like I said, uh, amongst his peers, he is the guy. Okay, well, let's keep it same side of that matchup. Kind of surreal. As much as Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick have both accomplished in this league, I think they are they are at the top of the hot yeah. seat speculation. Where do you see this? Obviously, the Patriots get a win. Not a not a inspiring season right. by any stretch in New England. So, where do you see that going? I mean, there's going to be right. speculation about this for the rest of the year. Where do you see it going with Bill Belichick? So, two totally different guys, right? And like Mike Tomlin loves these guys up. Right, always us, right? He's he's not a guy when you look at the Patriots way, it's always been kind of out of secrecy and a lot about a fear and kind of beating guys down. And that way it just doesn't work anymore. You, you can't do that. And and as I was talking to a head coach the other day, and I said, Man, these guys get beaten down so much on this phone. They get beaten down so much. The last thing they want is to get beaten down by their father figure or their uncle or other older brother figure that's now in their locker room. So that's why guys like Dan Campbell, D'Amico Ryan, and Mike McDaniels, those kind of guys are working so much more now and so much better um, than that old school Patriots way used to work. So I, I just think, you know, if Belichick does go somewhere else, uh, if I'm him, I give someone else personnel control because they haven't made great personnel moves. But he's still, look, he's, he's the greatest, who's greatest coach of all time. There's no doubt about that. Greatest who's ever done it. But I think that style, that Patriots way style, just doesn't really equate to today's players the way it used to. I got, yeah. Wherever that goes, you got to feel like some kind of, like you mentioned personnel control. You got to imagine something changes there regardless. I don't know that. If he's going to, he may say, no, I want to make sure I got my own groceries to cook with. I'd be curious to see what that leads to then. I I mean, I don't know. You can't, you can't doubt the resume though. All right. We keep, we keep getting questions about this guy, obviously uh, a pro bowl player uh, over the course of his career. Do you have any kind of update on Zach Ertz after leaving? The yeah, we Cardinals? do keep getting uh, like question uh, week after week about Zach Ertz. No, Here's the thing. Every week we get a bunch yeah, of these. And the reason why he probably isn't anywhere yet, it's not a position of need, right? If we're talking about an offensive lineman, he would have been scooped up in a second. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about a rush end, scooped up in a second DB, but it, tight end's just not a position of need. So I think more than anything, teams are looking at if somebody goes down, then they're going to make a run at Zach Ertz, but it's just not a position of need. This is the topic of the week, I think, and rightfully so with the with the season that he's having. But Tyree Kill, mm. we're we're in the thick of the Tyree Kill MVP conversation. If we assume he, you know, if he doesn't fall off, do you think it's realistic to think that a wide receiver wins NFL MVP? I, I don't. It just be so out of the norm. And big, big time. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, you know, what two is over there. I think Tyreek would, would even say it's Tua over him. Um, but might you look at him as offensive player of the year? Absolutely. Sure. But as far as the MVP, I guess, I don't know what, if I'm any school of, it has to be a quarterback. I don't think it has to be a quarterback per se. Um, Cause I do think like Christian McCaffrey should be strongly 
in that mix as well. But a receiver is a little bit probably harder for me to get my head around, but a receiver is not hard to get your head around for offensive player of the year. Yeah. That's, that's one of those seeing is believing things. Yeah. Like I, I'm not going to rule it out, but right. I kind of need to hear his name get called to believe that it would happen. Which Absolutely. Is the, yeah. You know, the way that, this award but what he's to, done this year is it's, it's incredible ridiculous he's he's got an outside yeah. shot to hit 2000 in, in 16 games and, like and he and you know he's getting that. the ball yet he's still open deep it's ridiculous yeah if if it he, were to happen he is a ridiculous weapon in this league just it's there's nothing like him mike mcdaniel said he's like what he's on he's on the short list he's of non-quarterbacks one. that you do whatever it takes yeah he's well, one of one yep. don't think the dolphins regret it jay as always we appreciate the time Thank you, brother. Man. appreciate, appreciate it. you Thanks for the suit shout out. All right. That wraps it up for a fun filled week 14 Sunday, but don't worry. The fun just keeps rolling along. It's mid December, but we have two Monday night games coming up tonight. The dolphins host the Tennessee Titans, the New York giants host the green Bay Packers. Plenty of excitement to get into on Tuesday. We'll be back to cover all of that. We'll have all the news and notes coming out of the games on Sunday. We'll have our weekly power rankings. You know the drill by now. It's going to be another jam-packed episode tomorrow. Until then, make sure make sure you know when it's coming out. Go find us on Spotify. Go subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We have a YouTube channel. Wherever you get your NFL news, podcasts, you know the drill. You can find us there. As always, we appreciate it so, so much. Like I said, two more games to get to before week 14 wraps up. We will be there for every bit of it. Until then, appreciate it, and I will catch you all next time.